Hello, and welcome to the Lisa Congdon Sessions, a podcast for creative folks about living and working with more intention, curiosity, and joy. I'm your host, Lisa Congdon. Hello, everyone. Welcome to season two of my podcast. I am so happy to be back, and I have a great episode for you today. Those of you who are regular listeners know that the final episode of season one was recorded over three months ago. And in that episode, I talked about taking a break from the podcast and the importance of taking breaks in general. I'm working really hard personally on granting myself grace from things that become overwhelming. And the podcast had become overwhelming to me. And this was me granting myself some grace and also taking some space from it to make sure that this is actually something I wanted to spend time doing. And as it turns out, I do. And I'm so glad to be back. At the end of that episode, I invited people to share their own experiences with taking breaks. And I got a long email a few days later from dog rescue advocate and photographer Sophie Gamond who had recently stopped using Instagram, closed her online shop, and took a break from the work in her career that didn't feel aligned with her bigger dreams. Sophie's email touched me so much that I decided to have her on to talk about her experience. In fact, every episode this season will be with someone I admire, talking about a topic that we are both passionate about. And in this episode, Sophie and I talk about living with greater intention. So before we get into the nitty gritty of that. I wanted to introduce you to Sophie. For those of you who don't know her, stepping away from Instagram, her shop, and her slew of projects was a big deal. She's an award-winning photographer who has built a business as an artist and an animal advocate. Her most known series are Wet Dog and Pitbull Flower Power. She is passionate about rescue dogs. Using her art as an advocacy tool Sophie explores the intersection between humankind and dogs and what this millennia-old bond reveals about our humanity. Since 2010, she has traveled around the U.S. and abroad to photograph shelter dogs and at-risk dogs. By telling their stories on her social media, she has helped these dogs find homes and has garnered huge support for the nonprofits that care for them. Best known for her acclaimed series Pitbull Flower Power, Sophie has photographed over 450 shelter pit bulls wearing handmade flower crowns. Shared on Sophie's popular social media accounts, the portraits often lead to adoptions. Sophie's images create a ripple effect. By engaging her community and leveraging her social media presence, she has helped raise hundreds of thousands of dollars for various animal nonprofits around the world. But recently, she found herself burned out and disconnected from her creativity. And so she decided to transition her practice inward and moved away from all of the ways she traditionally worked and supported herself. Sophie made a decision to live with more intention and presence in order to create the spaciousness she needed to make the kind of work she wanted to make and to let go of all of the aspects of her career that had begun to overwhelm her and make her feel like she was on a hamster wheel that she couldn't get off of. The results have been pretty magical for her, including understanding that it's all a day-by-day experiment with trust and leaning into the messiness of her life and art practice. Let's welcome Sophie Gamond to the show. 
Sophie, so great to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining me. Lisa, I can't tell you this is a dream come true. I'm so excited to meet you, to talk with you. I'm very, very excited. Thank you. What an honor. Oh, thank you so much. So just a little background. You and I met on Instagram and we followed each other and we're chatting and we found out that our partners were in the same industry and recently, well, actually, so my last podcast episode was at the beginning of the summer, the end of the spring. And I said, I'm going to take a break for a while. And I did a whole episode on sort of why I had decided to take a break from podcasting, why breaks in general are important. I talked a lot about kind of like American work culture. And I've really been struggling a lot personally over the last, I would say, five or six years with work-life balance. Work has sort of become my entire life. And I have sort of yet to figure out how to create more spaciousness in my life. And that's become a huge goal of mine because I realized that spaciousness or this sense of not being in a sardine can, or as you and I like to say, like on a hamster wheel, feels really important to me. And yet, ironically, that's sort of how my entire business life became, right? And subsequently, because my business life felt so intense and anxiety producing, the rest of my life as a result felt similarly. And I've been pretty open about that online and I've been working really hard at changing that. And I talked about that a lot in the last episode. And I invited people who were also working on similar things to let me know. And you wrote me this beautiful email and you basically said, all these things were also true for me. And I have made some huge steps in changing my work life and as a result, my whole life. And I was super inspired and I thought, ah, I need to have Sophie on to talk about (laughs) what she's going through because I feel like this is kind of a universal problem for especially those of us who are entrepreneurs. So before we get into that, before we talk about all of the changes you've been making over the last year, I just want to set the stage for kind of who you are, the work that you do, and how your business grew to the place where you started to feel like you were on a hamster wheel all the time. So take us back to the beginning. All right. So I guess an an important piece of the puzzle for me is that I'm French. I was born and raised. Then I lived a few years in Switzerland, and then I moved to New York. I spent 11 years in New York, and last year moved to Los Angeles. So I'm a citizen of the world, Um, (laughs) but also that has impacted my career, my life. Growing up, I think I knew I was an artist very, very early on and an advocate. I was a voice and I loved using my voice. I studied opera singing. I studied law. You know, I thought I was going to become a diplomat or something, fight for big causes. So the voice and art were always there. Um, But I was kind of pushed into more traditional careers by my father, especially, who thought, you know, artists don't make a living. This is never going to happen. Of course, it was pre-social media, you know, and nobody had any idea what was about to happen to all of us, right? So back then, it was was just too many gatekeepers, especially in the art world, especially for women artists. So I never really 
knew how to make that path for myself. So I tried my best. I got a, a job, you know, in, in an office and I was just dying day after day after day. It just wasn't for me. And slowly I came back to the artist. That happened when I moved to New York, especially. So being able to kind of start fresh, I left Europe, I left everything I knew. And when I arrived in New York, I only had a camera and I was like, well, I guess I'm going to take photos, you know, because my English wasn't that good, you know, back then. And it was tricky to communicate. And my camera felt like the best way to kind of get acquainted with my new life, meet people. And I realized very quickly that I kept pointing the lens towards dogs. They felt a little safer, I guess, than humans because there was no human language. It was the communication was a little easier with dogs. And dogs had always been, animals have always been kind of a safe place for me. So I kept taking photos of dogs. And very quickly, I met a rescuer and I started hearing about the amount of animals that are stuck in shelters all over the US. And I was like, okay, I have a camera. I don't have money to donate. I don't, you know, my English is not good enough. It's not like I can help with admin stuff or whatever, but I could help maybe with my camera. So I started volunteering as a photographer for Animal Rescue. And from there, it kind of snowballed. So I spent about two years volunteering full-time, 24-7 for rescue. After a couple of years, I was completely broke. And I was just like, I had a lot of photos that I felt weren't really going anywhere. You know, I was like, how do you make a career out of taking photos of shelter dogs? Because that's my calling and I feel so at home here. But how is that a career? How does that become a career? And from there, I really worked really hard to try and forge a path for myself. And I guess, yeah, that brings us to Pitbull Flower Power. And then that's the project. Wet Dog and Pitbull Flower Power are two photo series that gave me a career. And so since then, which was, so that was 2013, 2014, I've been a full-time artist. I make a living with my work. I, and my work is about helping shelter dogs or helping better understand dogs. And through that, understanding humanity. And I'm able to create the work that I want, the work that I believe in. And so far, knock on wood, you know, I'm able to live from that work. I think things might be about to change, but Every year, I feel like things are about to collapse and I'm going to lose everything I've built. So, you know, maybe nothing to worry about. But <laughs> you're, you're not alone. I also think like the present moment, especially the last two or three years, I think most people who make a living doing their, you know, creative talent question how sustainable it is between a global pandemic and now, you know, inflation and war and all of the things that impact people's buying habits or art collecting habits, publishing habits, like all of those things, they're scary and they're realities. So I'm curious. So you went from kind of like, I'm a volunteer to kind of over a period of time, figuring out how to turn this into something that could make money for you. So you tell us some of the things that you did. I'm assuming that, you know, you opened a shop, you published a couple of books, like how did all of that happen for you? Okay, yes. So the first project that really kicked that door open for me was Wet Dog. It's a series of photos of dogs during bath time. So they're like miserable and dripping with water. And uh, I don't know, it was a series that I had not intended on photographing. I was at the groomer and I just wanted to photograph the before, after of the cut and just have fun. 
after two years volunteering for the rescue, I needed some levity and I, I wanted to just have fun and like not overthink and work with dogs that I know were safe and already loved and belong to someone, you know, that were at the groomer getting pampered. So it was a very dramatic change from the work in rescue, which was always so heartbreaking. And that day I figured, you know, I'm just going to stay open to whatever comes my way and photograph everything that happens. And I basically started photographing these dogs when I realized how incredibly funny they were, like just so miserable, you know, like, I don't want to be doing this. Why are we doing this? But just going with it. I thought there was something so poignant about it too, how vulnerable they were, but like kind of just going with it. So I took those photos in one afternoon and I remember flying back to France shortly after that. And I was so broke and I I just really was completely lost. And I showed my parents some of my photos and I showed them, you know, wet dog and other things. And my father stopped at wet dog. He's like, what is this? I'm like, oh, you know, photos of wet dogs. Like, I don't really know what to do with them. He's like, this is going, to, is going to make your career. Oh, I don't know what I'm talking about. And I'm like, wet dogs? I don't think so, dad. <laughs> so he used to be in advertising, like in the 80s. And I always trusted his eyes. So I figured, okay, if daddy sees something in those images, I guess I have to try and see what happens. So he said, go back to New York, show these to everybody you know. And I said, I know nobody. <laughs> I don't know where. I don't know where to show this. So I identified two blogs, My Modern Met, and uh, 22, 22 words? What was it called? Oh, that was so many years ago. But yeah, 22 words, I think. Yeah, back in the day of blogs, yeah. Yeah, so these were, I mean, websites, you know, that had... Yeah. I love their curation. They always showed really great artists and work that was funny, but like really well. So I don't know. I figured, I think my work aligns with them. So I emailed them both and I said, hey, I photographed wet dogs. And both of them said oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever seen. We're publishing today. And from there, it just exploded. Like I've never, I didn't even know this was possible. This was, I didn't have an Instagram. This was pre-Instagram, pre-Snapchat, pre, of course, TikTok and all that stuff. I didn't even have a website in my name back then. Like I was just completely unprepared. And the project went viral. I won a Sony Award and then book publishers started approaching me and So for a few months, I was just caught into this crazy storm of opportunities and everybody wanted wet dogs. And I remember my first reaction was like, oh no, I'm going to get known for this. I'm going to be known for (laughs) like ridiculous photos of wet dogs, you know, (laughs) when my work was, I had more, you know, gravity to it. And I don't know, it was, I was shocked. I was like, I cannot believe I'm going to be known for wet dogs. Uh, And so it lasted a few months of like really crazy whirlwind of, giving interviews every day and talking to publishers, getting an agent. And I told myself, I'm going to say yes to everything and just, you know, roll with the punches and just make the best of this, right? It was an incredible experience. And after a few months, I was really tired. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to do a project that's going to be super quick, five images. I'm going to go to the shelter. I'm going to put flower crowns on pit bulls to help them get adopted. It's going to be fun to glue flowers together and just like, to get to know pit bulls because they scared me. That's a whole other story. So I figured, yeah, five images, and then I'll go back to wet dog. So I shot these five images, and I shared them on social media, and it went viral, like, insane. (laughs) I I thought wet dog was crazy, but, like, pit bull flower power was a 100 times. Instantly, I was propelled into the role of a pit bull advocate and 
So if WebDoc gave me a career in the sense of a photographer and like that, Pitbull Flower Power gave me a career of an artist and an advocate. And um, then, you know, Pitbull Flower Power kept going viral for a few years. Like each time the wave would come down, another wave would come. And so for a few years, I just said yes to it as much as I could, you know, and I just took everything in and I, I made a book and exhibits and merchandise and I opened a store and like I went go, 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 go. And I, and I was doing a lot of rescue work in parallel. And I, I think I kept having like mini burnouts, but I, I didn't really identify what they were. And when you do a project like Pitbull Flower Power, there's so many people vested in it. All the rescue groups that I work with, the dogs, you know, whose lives sometimes are on the line. That, that portrait might be the image that saves their lives, like literally. So there's a lot of pressure on the project. So I couldn't really stop the project. So I kept going. And when the pandemic hit, I was very tired and I was ready to take a break, but I was completely sucked into the process. Like, how do you take a break from saving animals and from all these nonprofits that rely on my work, you know? The pandemic gave me that opportunity because shelters shut down to the public, so I was not able to go take photos. And then people were at home. You know, I, I, I stopped doing fundraisers. You know, I just kind of cocooned and just calmed down a little bit on my rescue work and, and people fly power and all that. And that was the best thing Ever, because it gave me an excuse to to step off a little bit from that crazy train. So that was what 20, 2019 or twenty 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 twenty. Yeah. Oh. So like almost three years ago, I had a similar experience where, I mean, I also my career around two thousand thirteen or fourteen really started to take off in a new way. I mean, I had been a working artist for much longer than that, but things really shifted for me around then. And I also went through many sort of mini burnouts mm. and then a few big burnouts too. And so I found myself in 2020, just super grateful that all my travel had been canceled and, you know, all of these things that normally would have happened weren't happening anymore. And I felt, I actually felt relieved to be working from home and not my studio. Like there were all these things that just I think that this is sort of a universal experience for not just entrepreneurial artists, but also people in general, like the pandemic for all the sadness and difficulty and tragedy, frankly, that it spewed on everyone. It also, I think for a lot of people being forced to slow down or stop was kind of a magical moment for a lot of people. Like it made a lot of us realize like we're doing a lot of things we don't actually enjoy or that are exhausting us. And we have never stopped to really consider that before. So you found yourself in 2020 in that space. Yeah. And you you took a sort of natural break. And then what happened? Yeah, I was also just coming out of like a couple of years of really intense therapy. So I think it everything kind of came to a perfect timing for me. And obviously, yes, the pandemic, I don't want to negate, you know, the horrors of the pandemic. My personal experience was that it was such a relief not to be out in the world, especially in New York. New York was very draining and I, I had been drained for a long time by the city itself. So just being home and then my husband had to work from home and I realized, wow, I was actually really lonely. I was really lonely, alone, working all the time. Uh, I don't have a team, you know, it's just me and 
all the contact I've made over the years, you know, it's shelters all over the countries. So, so, you know, it's people that I meet briefly and then we're in touch via emails. And But I, I don't have my family here. Like, I really did not have a strong support system in that sense, despite having a lot of followers on social media. And like, you know, you interact with people all the time, but I was just really lonely. And I hadn't, it hadn't really hit me until my husband was working from home and we were confined in a one bedroom apartment. And I was like, these are the best days of my life. (laughs) (laughs) So I took stock of that, you know, I, early pandemic, I pivoted when I realized that artists were selling a lot of work. I think during confinement, people started redecorating their houses or maybe people freaked out and started spending on things that made them happy. There might have been a little bit of that effect. I just noticed a lot of artists selling art around me. And I think I might have read an article or listened to a podcast where this artist said, oh, yeah, I'm selling more than I have before. And I was like, huh, maybe I need to get my stuff together. So I decided for the first time I had never done this, which was crazy, to sell prints via my website and just actively promote them on my social media So I was home and literally orders started coming in. So I set up this online store. I I put a lot of effort into it. I developed products that I was excited about. And then people bought and I was packaging stuff every day on my kitchen table. And I remember, you know, my husband was on meetings all the time on Zoom. So we would have to time because it's like, you know, the, the, the tape and the cardboard boxes. I can't, you have to like, schedule it so that he has his meeting and then I package for a couple of hours. It was like this big operation and it was, it was fun. And it was, it made me feel like, wow, there's, there's more to this career than social media and that things the way I've been doing them. It allowed me to explore a different way of making a living, a different way of being with my work. Instead of chasing new images all the time, traveling around the country and the world to go get new photos, I sat at home with artworks I had already made. And I thought, how can I honor them? How can I, you know, these photos that I love, but I've never really shared them. I've never really tried to sell them or to give them a life outside of my little computer. And so it was, I love that aspect of the creative careers that we have. I'm assuming it's similar for you because I can see you having a lot of fun with merchandise and to breathe life into some of your ideas in the shape of a product a product is, I hate that word, but you know what I mean? Like a, an object that people can collect, can keep, can hold, can hang on their wall. There's something really magical about that. So the pandemic allowed me to explore that a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, you had already had books and maybe a few other things, yeah. but you really dove more deeply into merchandising your shop. So fast forward to, you know, the last couple of years, there's aspects of this that you're enjoying. Similarly, 2020 and 2021 were my busiest years to date. I remember being terrified when that pandemic hit because unlike you, I already had a shop with a million different products in it. And I was terrified that no one was going to be spending money. Mm -hmm. And I do think that a lot of artists and folks out there who sell things did take a hit, but I happen to sell things that make people happy. And so do you. Right. And I think that that was like a game changer for a lot of us that we make things that bring people joy and hope. And I think that's where the market was for better or for worse at the time. <laughs> so take us into the last couple of years. I know you you embarked on a really big transition recently. And so I want, I want to hear more about what led up to that moment where you were like, I need to make changes. 
Yeah, so New York, you know, was we were really suffocating in New York uh, physically and mentally. It was just a lot. And I think we both, uh, Stan and I, felt like we needed a change. He he worked for a startup, which during the pandemic lost their funding. So he lost his job. And so that kind of opened the cards for us. Like, where do we want to go next? And it's really hard when you're an immigrant, you know, and your family is in Europe because he's also European. So what's difficult is that we don't really have any attachment to anywhere specific in the U.S. So that opens the entire map of the world, actually, not just the U.S., but it's basically like anywhere you want to go. And that is really daunting. And we didn't really know how to go about this. I told Stan, I'll follow you anywhere in the world, but not Los Angeles. Like, <laughs> I'm not doing another big cities with the fast pace, the money, the like rat race, you know, everybody like, ah, so hungry. And and I thought that, w- that was a hug. <laughs> agreement but here we are we are now in Los Angeles where Stan got a great job and and so we relocated a year ago and it's so funny because even when I try to really slow down and tell myself I'm going to take time I'm going to enjoy we transitioning from New York to LA that was the perfect opportunity right to kind of be like I'm going to reinvent myself yeah Growing up, I remember in school, I always dreamt of my parents moving us to different cities in the middle of the school year so I could have a fresh start and be like the person that nobody knows. That was my fantasy. Never happened. My parents have lived in the same house for 40 years. But (laughs) that was my fantasy. So, you know, leaving New York, going to LA, that could have been that perfect opportunity. I kind of disappear and then I reinvent myself. I chickened out and I used the opportunity of the move to do what I call the rescue road trip, where we actually drove from New York to LA for a month and we stopped in nine different shelters and rescue organizations. So the entire move was basically me back into the grind of the hamster wheel that is my career, which is to take photos of shelter dogs, share their stories, raise money, raise awareness. <laughs> so by the time I arrived in LA, I was like, oh, wow, I really like failed the assignment here of driving across the country and go visit national parks or, you know what I mean? Like just... Just relax. <laughs> yeah, relax, I guess is the word, relax. <laughs> I also did a big gig for Apple during that road trip, which was not scheduled. And when they called me, I was like, I guess it's Apple. Like, I have to say yes. Yeah. But I also feel like the universe was testing me. So by the time I arrived in Los Angeles, I really felt I had failed the assignment. The universe tested me and I said, no, no, I don't want to break. I I want to work even harder during my break. So when I arrived and I landed in LA, I was like, okay, now I have to cut everything. And after a couple of months here, I basically stopped posting on social media. I took a break for, I think, three or four months, which was the longest break I ever had since 2014. I used to post twice a day, every day for a long time. And my posts are not easy because every post was the story of a dog. And like it's there's a lot of content that goes into every post. It's not like I can schedule them. And they take a lot of work. And so... I had never really taken such a break because I I thought everybody's going to forget about me. Also, like horrible timing to take a break now, now that the algorithm is really messing up with all of us. And I am not a content creator. I I cannot make reels and I, I cannot just like, you know, film jokes with my dogs to make people laugh. Like that's not who I am. And so I feel like it was probably bad timing to step off Instagram. I was terrified that by the time I would come back on social media, yeah, nobody would be left to see my work. 
And in a way, it's true. You know, when I left, when I stopped posting a few months ago, my basic post would get seven, 8,000 likes and a lot of comments and engagement. And now I'm lucky if they get a thousand. And that has been, you know, a challenging shift because I know we, you know, we shouldn't pay attention to numbers as much, but there is a mythology that we all have, I think, that our worth is really tied to not just the numbers, but also like this is how I run my business. You know, what if what what will happen if my posts get not seen and then this is how brands find me and this is how I've gotten gigs in the past. And what does real life have to offer? You know, like how do you make money in real life? Yeah, I I can relate to so much of what you're saying. And I I just want to I want to delve into the social media part more deeply because you're making me think about so many things that I think are worth talking about. But I also want to just reiterate that when you got to LA and you were like, okay, I'm finally going to do this, you not only stepped off social media, you shut down your online store. Yes. You stopped taking paid gigs that didn't help you build your dream. Yeah. And you stopped doing shelter shoots, which... Yeah, were just a really integral part of your business. And you you stopped doing all of these things, I assume, because you were like, I'm burned out. I need a break. And you were obviously, I mean, you've communicated to me that this was kind of terrifying, right? Because like, who am I yeah. without all of these things? Not just the likes and comments, but like the work. Yeah. Incredibly brave. And I, and I can say that because I have thought about doing all of those things. I mean, in a, in, in the way that makes sense for my business, obviously we both run creative businesses. They're different, but I've thought about doing the equivalent of all of those things all at once. I fantasize about it all the time, Mm. but I'm, I'm terrified about what might happen if I do. And I think most people can relate to that. Like we built this business. And in my case, I also have employees who rely on me for salaries and I'm like, I'm in deep, right? So at that moment where you were like, I'm going to do all of these things. And I want to acknowledge that you, you know, you obviously had a safety net. You weren't living on the street, you know, Oh, of course, all of those things were true, but psychologically, this was terrifying for you. Talk about as you let go of all of those things, sort of all at once what that was like for you. And then I want to talk about kind of what you've learned because at the point you wrote me this email after I posted my last podcast episode, you were discovering all kinds of things about yourself and your own creative practice that you are sure you wouldn't have discovered had you not let go of all these things. So Mm -hmm. clearly there's an upside, right? Oh yeah. So, so talk about like the scary parts, but also tell us about the magical parts. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm so glad I sent you that email because it's, I don't journal. I find it very difficult. And that, that felt, that feels almost like, oh, I'm reading a page of my journal from a few weeks or months ago, right? And I had forgotten a little bit. And, and yes, I don't want to focus just on the social media aspect of, of this equation because it's part of it. But you're right. There were forces that were bigger forces at, at, at play there. For one, you know, so I'm a photographer, an artist and an advocate. For all these years, I've placed the advocate first because, you know, saving lives, being a part of the rescue community, learning and on how to be better humans and not just for the animals, for our planet and for other humans, like all these things were driving me, right? 
But I've come to realize, and especially after, like, once I arrived in LA and I really sat with those thoughts, that I had really neglected the artist in me and that I could no longer do that. I was hiding a lot behind my advocacy work. And that was the part that was really draining me of a lot of my creative energy. So I was very unhappy creatively. And I always have these big dreams of being a great artist. And I have so many ideas all the time. And I, I want to act on them. But I couldn't because all my juices were going towards, oh, I need to write this post to help these dogs get adopted. Or, you know, there was always something very specific that needed to happen. So that was scary because stepping off advocacy work, you feel like a piece of crap. You know, it's, it's really saying, well, I'm going to put myself first. Like, does my work even have value without this, right? Well, first, yes. There's, there's several things. The first part for me is like, I think I relied a lot on advocacy to hide my artistic insecurities. I grew up thinking I was worthless and my art was worthless. And so when I finally got recognized for my work, it was for the advocacy part of helping pitbulls. And it was safe because I was like, yeah, even if the image is not the best, I won't get criticized on this because it's saving a dog. And I was a bit of a coward with my art all these years because I really hid behind that. And then slowly, this weird feeling started creeping up. I think after therapy too, probably because I started gaining more self-worth. When I would see people comment on my beautiful artwork to say, thank you for helping dogs. There was a voice in me that was revolted and said like, but I'm here. I exist. I'm happy for that dog. But like, can you comment on how beautiful the art is? Can you, can you see me behind the art, you know? And I, I realized that I was developing a little frustration with my work and how often, yeah, people would focus on the lives saved and the advocacy part of my work and not recognize the beauty. Oh, it disgusts me to say this. I still have some self-worth work to do, but, you know, <laughs> the beauty and the, yeah, how special my work is also in it for itself without the advocacy component. Yeah. And so... I'm sure you can relate a little bit because you do a lot of advocacy pieces. It's true. And I think it is a a weird crutch that we use to validate our work and our talent. You know, well, if my work isn't so good or if it's not as deep as some other artists work, at least I'm raising money for a cause that matters, or at least it's raising awareness or it's It's a message about something that's important versus... You know, it's, it's interesting because recently I have moved away from, I still make work that has messages in it and I get hired a lot to do that as well, but I've been moving away from that and just making work that I feel like making that maybe has messages that are embedded in the visual part of it, but there's no words. And I'm doing that on purpose because I'm trying to own that part of my practice and like who I am, like my work has value, whether or not it gives somebody inspiration or hope or whatever, because I became so known for the messages in my work that I felt like that overshadowed my talent as somebody who could draw and paint. So I can completely yeah. relate to everything you're saying. It, yeah, it, it is a crutch. It's really something, and it's beautiful at the same time, like how amazing to have built a career that inspires people, that saves people, that yes. 
um, gives so much money to nonprofit. Like I'm, I used to say in interviews, like this is the best career I could have ever driven. I'm so happy. And then, you know, over the years, suddenly it shifted and I realized, Ooh, I'm being a coward. And also a few months ago, as I was thinking about this kind of things, I read something that Jerry Saltz, the art critic from New York yeah. wrote. And he wrote about that. He, he had, it was just one sentence and I, I forgot how he phrased it, but he was saying something about there's a lot of bad art that hides behind a message or a cause or like it, it was something about that. I don't know if he said bad art, but that's how I received it. And I was like, damn, oh, ah, I'm getting my, you know, my butt whipped a little bit by the universe here. And it, it really forced me to stop and think, okay, is this the art you want to make? How much of this art is really truly what your soul artist, you know, longs to see in the world? And I love People Flower Power. I love this project, but I've done 450 portraits in that series over the years. 450. I'm like, this is, it's a huge undertaking and nobody will ever truly grasp how big an undertaking this was. Even my book only has like half of them in it because there was not enough room to put them all in the book. And so I'm like, yeah, I could continue doing that my entire life. And it's what pays the bills. It's what I'm known for. People love the project. The project saves lives. Like there's so many reasons not to give up on this project, but it's killing me in some ways. And so I am having to make this journey of, I'm going to create art just because it speaks to me and and I'm going to try and not have big messages with them. I find that I still do. And every piece of art I've been working on, <laughs> there's a huge message that comes with. And, you know, it's fun. I mean, that's how I am too. I'm a very cerebral artist in that way. Like I I wish I could draw like you, Lisa. I'm, I'm so jealous of people who can illustrate things. That's not how my brain operates. So I'm exploring different mediums like I am doing cyanotypes and embroidery and painting and sculpture like I'm really trying to touch on a lot of different things and just try and find my way through that and it took a lot of work with therapy with pandemic with everything to just face those demons face myself and be like okay this is not working why okay it's not working because you you're hiding you're not being brave in your art practice and I'm trying to face all this well, you know, the part of your story I can relate to so much is you're self-taught. You didn't go to school for photography. Right. You started your photography practice like on the streets of New York and you became well-known very quickly. Mm-hmm. There is something about overnight, and not that your success was overnight. There was a lot of work that went into it, but like literally some things went viral and all of a sudden, you know, you're in the limelight. And I think that there is a certain amount of what we call imposter syndrome that happens to a lot of folks who are self-taught or who sort of stumbled into an art career in the way that you did. And one of the things that we talked about, you know, really what we were going to talk about today. And I suggested to you that we talk about spaciousness because I feel like we're both trying to create more spaciousness in our art practices. But you kept coming back to this idea of intention. And I really do think that's sort of the theme of this conversation, because for me, what changed was at some point along the road, I was like, okay, I became known for this one thing, but I really want to shift and make more of what I want to make. And sometimes that's going to have messages in it. And sometimes it's going to have something else. But the idea is that I'm really in touch with what feeds me and what makes me happy and what brings me joy and what lights me up creatively. And I'm going to intentionally 
work on things that bring me all of those results versus what I think my audience is going to like or what I think people are going to buy. And it's hard because, you know, you're trying to make a living. You're trying to not disappoint a bunch of people who follow you and like what you do, right? And I I do think that, however, when we live with intention, the rest follows. So I made a big shift a few years ago. Mm -hmm. I've made many shifts based on like, I now intend to work more on this, or I now intend to live with this particular goal in mind. I feel like being intentional is just so important. And what you did was you woke up and you were like, I do all these things. I'm grateful for them. They helped build the career that I have, but I'm burned out and I'm tired. And this is not all of who I am as a creative person. You know, I'm so much more than this. I want people to see what I can do. And I want my creative practice to reflect all of who I am. So in the last few months, you've been experimenting with, you know, having more intention, you know, working toward new horizons for lack of a better term. What has that been like for you? Like, yes, you shut down all of these things. You had to let go of some things in order to make spaciousness for intention. Like, what was that like? And, you know, yeah, it's scary, but also what were the benefits? You know, actually doing it was a big relief. I spent a lot of time the past year thinking, okay, if, if I was on my deathbed today and I looked back at my life and hopefully that was a long life, what would I regret not putting more energy towards? And one thing is really like, I know I'm an artist and I just haven't done the work in the way that I could have or should have because I was caught into so many other things, like a lot of relationship trauma and I needed a lot of work, a lot of work to save myself. And I was too busy doing that, surviving, you know, to be able to do the art I wanted to make. And I reached a point where I was like, yeah, if if I was on on my deathbed, I would really regret not trying harder to be the artist I know I can be. So once I made that decision a few months ago to step off social media, it was a huge relief. Like I felt, oh my gosh, I have so much time now. My store is closed. Like I don't have... A- and I don't have to perform for other people either. I don't have to perform. And I, yeah, I think it's part of it too. You know, like I, I come from a very difficult family where I've never been supported or loved in the way I needed to. And, and so I think like having my worth attached to my work repaired a little bit but also it never does because there's an empty well that can never be filled there and the well that I want to fill now is myself the artist that I know I am I want to let her come out and play and I want to reconnect to the incredible kid I was and I want to reconnect to that soul that I was born with that has been hurt by the world in so many ways and now I feel like she's healed a little bit I want to say, yeah, you know what? Come out and play. Let's play. Let's have fun. I'm so tired of being serious. And and that's part two of being an advocate. You have to be so controlled and measured and serious and committed. And I'm tired of being committed and serious. I want to have fun. And I remember saying that to my therapist. She was like, well, you still need to be like serious in life. I'm like, no, you don't understand. (laughs) I've been so serious. I've never made mistakes. I've never, you know... Growing up too, as a kid, I was so serious. I was responsible for so much at such a young age. I was my parents' therapist, you know, and and so now I want to have fun and I want to let my little girl come out and play. And I've read, you know, like Big Magic, you know, I've, I've read a couple of these incredibly inspiring books 
Glennon Doyle, I love her stuff. Like I reading all this stuff, it sparked this desire of like, it's time. It's time to let her come out and play. And so that's what I'm doing with little Sophie, having fun and playing. So taking that break to go back to your question, it was a big relief. Because yeah, I didn't have to answer to anyone anymore. And my days were just like, oh, you know, emails are not really coming in anymore. Nobody wants me because I'm not visible anymore. And it used to freak me out. And now I'm just going to lean into it. So what? I'll figure it out. So you intentionally leaned into it. I intentionally leaned into it. And I said, okay, what can I do with that time now that I have that time? Where do I put that energy that I put on posting on social media or whatnot? And I figured, you know what I really love doing is organizing exhibits. I love organizing immersive experiences where people come and they experience my art in so many different ways. In the past, I've done like virtual reality and installations of dog chains and collars that were taken off dogs when they enter at the shelter and pieces you can touch and huge installation. And like there's a painting There's like, it's all over, the, not all over the place because, you know, there's a theme. But I love making people feel and think and cry and laugh. And, and I love sharing that with them. So I was like, you know, I'm going to do it. But of course, I'm not really supported in the art world. I apply to grants, to residency. I never get anything. So it's always just little old me with my own little money and my contacts and, and whatever I'm able to summon up, right? So I figured I know my next step. I have to make an exhibit in Los Angeles. But like... <laughs> How do you make an exhibit in Los Angeles when you just arrived? You barely know anybody. And I started looking at spaces I could rent and it was like $3,000 a day or whatever. I'm like, how, what? I mean, New York, you could find something, but this was a lot. So I basically, I was like, okay, I'm committing to this. I, this feels right. In a few months, I'll have an exhibit. So I put an appeal on Instagram. I went back. Well, maybe it was right before my break. In any case, I was still kind of, posting in my stories on Instagram, which feels a little more laid back than proper posts. So I posted and I said, anybody can help me like put together an exhibit in LA? Like, I don't know, like I need help. And this incredible woman, Shannon, reached out and she lives in Chicago, but she was like, I'll help you. And I was like, okay. And she's been helping with some of the logistics and we found this incredible space. And I went to visit the space and I remember standing there and I was like giggling I had like a smile across my face and I was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I felt this fire of joy in my heart that I hadn't felt in a very long time. And I knew this is where I belong. Ah, And when you find that spark, when you connect with it in that way, ah, who cares if you're posting on social media? Who cares if your store is closed or open? It, who cares if the money is coming in? Like you stand in your truth in such a powerful, connected vibrant way that nothing else matters. And I was like, I'm going to make this happen no matter what it costs. I don't care if I use all my savings. I don't care. I'll figure it out. Worst case scenario, I figured I can do a little fundraiser or I can find help with my supporters or I'll, I'll find, I'll do a lemon and stand. <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I'll make it work. So I picked a date and that's actually in two days from us recording this podcast. I'm opening my exhibit. So I basically designed this huge solo exhibit I made a whole bunch of new artwork for it. I organized the whole thing from renting the space to a dog adoption event we're going to host, like this, this whole thing. It's been months of work and money. And I am i don't think I'm afraid. I'm actually really excited. I don't feel like anxiety took over like I used to because I made so much space for it. 
And because I moved with intention for the first time in my life, I didn't let anxiety swallow me up. You know, usually leading up to an event like this, you're like, ah, and by the time the event happens, you're like, ah, whatever. You know, <laughs> and you just kind of get carried, you know, through the event a little bit. And then you realize, oh, the event is over. It goes so quickly, like a wedding, you know, I guess I'm sure people can relate to that feeling, right? There's so much that goes into it. Yes. This time I'm like slow and steady and I mean, it's in two days, so now I'm freaking out a little bit. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but it sounds like you're being really like present with all of it. And again, present. You you set this intention that you were going to do this. Like this is the thing that I think is going to bring me joy right now. That could be different in a year. Yeah, whatever. But right now, I am going to lean into the fact that I don't really know what I'm doing, and I don't necessarily have all of the resources at hand to make this work. But I'm going to put it out to the universe. And see what happens. And here we are. That's amazing. Yeah. Congratulations. And, you know, thank you. Uh, I'm like, oh, I'm like having goosebumps just thinking about it because I, I'm excited to connect with people. And I'm showing work that, you know, maybe is not like if I see my ideal work and me as an artist, the way I want to be, this work, I'd be like, I can see it's a stepping stone, but it's probably not as good as, and, and big and amazing as I can make it but I'm celebrating every step. I used to look at art I would make and be like, oh, it's shit, you know, it's never going to be good. I may as well just not try. But this time I'm like, yeah, you know, I know, I know. Don't look at the mistakes, you know, don't look at the other problems. It's okay, Sophie, like just stay the course, you know, and show this work and see what happens. I have to say in 2019, I did an exhibit in New York and I, I had made little embroideries just for fun for myself, like not thinking much about them. And I had a wall that was empty at the exhibit. So I figured, ah, you know, I, I need to fill it with something. Why don't I just put these little embroideries there? And it was the thing that people were most excited about. And to me, they were like, they were wonky. They were like, I was like, oh, this was just a test. I was make, I've never done embroidery in my life before. Like I was literally just toying with things and people really connected with them. So that taught me, and I'm trying to put that into my intention now and in creating more space for myself in my art practice, it taught me that you really cannot be in control of everything. And whatever art vision you're channeling, like you just have to honor it and, and bring it into matter and not sweat the little details of how maybe it's not perfect or it's not exactly turned out the way you envision. And that's a lesson I've had to learn. It's been a really difficult lesson to learn, but I feel like for the first time in my life, um, I'm feeling it for this exhibit. That's great. I love that. I, I always tell my students to embrace the wonk. <laughs> there you go. And that's like a lesson that I also had to learn. Like as somebody who's self-taught, I was never sort of traditionally or formally trained to, to draw or paint. Like my work is a little wonky and that's actually what I learned over time. This is not a recent realization. I realized this a long time ago, but I realize like that's what makes my work interesting or different, right? If I was rendering something perfectly, it would be boring. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's all the little quirks that make that are what make it interesting. I started doing like improvisational quilting a few years ago and I, you know, I dared to put these similar to you and your embroidery. I dared to put these two small improvisational quilts in the show. I didn't charge as much money for them as I charged for my paintings, but they both sold and you know, so many imperfections and like my piecing skills are terrible, but like <laughs> people loved them. And I think they were the two of the most popular pieces in the show because 
they were so almost just like wonky and like childlike almost in a way. Mm, honest. Maybe. Because I'm a beginner at this thing, but yeah. they like had amazing composition and yeah. So my technical skills were terrible, mm. but overall my voice as an artist came through and that's what people connected to. Mm. And it, that in and of itself was just a reinforcement of something that I think I, I had been learning all along, which is that like, it's all those little imperfections that actually make your work interesting and different, right? Hmm. So talk about where are you now? So you've, you've got this show opening, mm-hmm. it, you know, where, what's your relationship to social media and your store and all of that? Like, is this a permanent thing? Like, what are you thinking about your future? Not that we can ever like make a decision that's going to last forever. Right. We're allowed to change our minds a lot, but like, where are your intentions lying right now? So I've reopened my store because it's calendar season and my calendar is a big part of the Pitbull Flower Power project. You know, I feel like I owe it to the people who follow the project and it's such a beautiful way to connect with the people that support my work. So I've reopened the store. I've, you know, I try not to put strict rules on this shifting because I figured, yeah, some days I might want to process orders and take orders because it's kind of uh, it's kind of relaxing. It's a meditative process sometimes. You're like, oh, somebody ordered a pack of greeting cards, and you go to your little greeting cards bag, and you take one and you put it in a box, and it feels sometimes it's nice. Like I find it meditative. So I think I, I might close it, open it. I think what I've learned is that it's okay for me to close it for a few months and reopen it. And of course, yes, I might lose on the money, but and I know it's a very privileged thing to say, but I don't want money to be the way I live my life anyway, it's never been for me. So, you know, I can say that because my husband has a job and there is some security, like you said earlier. So, but still, like, I feel, I feel like, yeah, I don't want to lead this career with money. It's not really the most important. What's important is that I create the work that I'm really excited about. So I reopened the store, I post on social media, but like, it's so depressing because very little happens. And also it coincides with me posting work that people are not used to seeing from me. So I'm trying not to overthink it. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm just going to share it and I don't care if nobody comments. But it's weird because, of course, you know, people are like, oh, I don't want to understand this image because my audience is an audience of people who are more into the rescue world maybe and they, they loved my work for what it could do to the rescue community. And I'm trying to shift and I'm trying to teach my audience and myself that, yeah, this is part of what I do, but it's not who I am. And who I am is an artist and that artist has wings and she needs to spread them sometimes. And so it's almost like a physical feeling of shifting my entire social media presence and my career and myself to be like, oh, you know, let's look over here for a minute. I love saving dogs, but it cannot be my entire life. Someone actually got really upset with me about that and called me a narcissist saying like, oh yeah, you, you're more interested in your art than selling animals. Wow, you're such a narcissist. And I was like, such a weird, it's not my baggage, I'm not going to carry it. But it, it was, it, it's weird. Like some people expect things from you and when you shift, they get mad. And so it's a lot to contend with, but I'm at peace with the decision because I can see how much more happy I am when, I, when I'm centered and I, I really connect with the work I want to do. Instantly after I started taking my break and I started working on this exhibit, I had so many ideas, visuals, connection that happened in my brain and my heart. And I was like, oh, this makes sense. Like everything came together in such a powerful way. I wish I could do without social media, website, everything. I actually just discovered an artist that I found super inspiring. I love her work. And I was trying to find her 
And I couldn't find anything for her, not even a website. And I'm like, oh, that's genius. Like, that's for me now, right? If you ask me today, that's my goal. I wish in a few years that I can be completely free of online presence if I could. Also because who knows what's going to happen. I'm really inspired by your story, which is why I'm so happy to talk to you today because you actually, a lot of us talk about walking away from social media or walking away from aspects of our business that are exhausting us and and yet we don't do it or we do it and then we come back to it really quickly and you, like you did it yeah. <laughs> and then you did something else that you're really excited about. So this isn't about like Sophie laying on the couch all day, staring at the ceiling. And that would be fine too, by the way. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. By the way, <laughs> but this is about you just like using the time to pursue another creative endeavor. Yeah. I think the danger is like, when the new fresh creative endeavor then becomes the thing that exhausts you. Right. Yeah. So, so what I want to close today talking about is like, how do we let go of something and then move into a new space and keep that new space in check so that it doesn't necessarily also become the, the next thing that stresses us out that we have to walk away from? Like, have you found ways to create more spaciousness and balance in your life and to really live with that intention fully and not get caught up in all of the stressful stuff that takes you out of being in the present moment? Like, how do you do that? Yeah, I don't think I'm very good at it. So I don't know that I have great insight. I'm learning. I'm definitely learning and I'm acquiring tools every day. I do think that testing it, like even don't post for a week because before I did my big break, I had done in the past a week or two of break and I had felt like, oh, wow, that, that felt actually really good. So you can also like kind of work your way up towards that. Try and not post for an entire week and see how it feels like. And I guarantee you it's going to feel amazing. And so then you get that reward of like, okay, and then you can, you know, try again later or for a longer period of time. So I think it doesn't have to be like this dramatic change. What has also helped me is to feel like if I stop posting, I'm helping other people not be overwhelmed on their feed. Because we are so caught in the race of posting every day, we all create these frantic feeds when, you know, if somebody follows you and me, like they have to see posts from us every day, like that's a lot. So I told myself, if I don't post for a while, or I only post once every week or whatever, like if I slow down, I give more room for, I don't know, breathers. If everybody did that, there would be more room to breathe on social media. That was kind of my my trick to myself. So I'm like, in a way, I'm helping everybody by stepping off. Maybe that's how you can also trick yourself, you know? I love that. I've, I've never thought about it that way. That is such a beautiful way to frame it. Because we're all racing. Yeah, we're all racing towards the wall. And then we scroll and, and doom scroll and scroll scroll for hours. I'm like, watching reel after reel or whatever. And I'm like, wow, if... If all of us, it's like if you if you didn't eat meat every day, you just skipped one day of eating meat. You could do so much for the planet, right? So it's like it doesn't have to. You don't have to be full vegan. It's same thing with social media. You don't have to stop entirely like I did, but just take breathers and see what happens. And it doesn't make a big difference, honestly, in the grand scheme of things. And for you, given that you know you're practicing that intention in using social media, you're also you know, embarking on all these other ways of using your time. Right. How do you make sure that you keep those also in check? Like, <laughs> how do you make sure that 
or how did you make sure that this new art show didn't become the thing that then became like completely stressful and overwhelming? Right. I feel like that as creative people, we're always wanting to go really deep with things and then they end up sort of taking over our lives and it doesn't have to be that way. So how do we keep that in check? Yeah. I mean, I wonder if at some point, maybe one of the goals would be to have almost office hours with my creative work, which I don't have. I mean, I work all the time, every day. I, I haven't taken a, a real vacation in years. Like I, I just, that's not something I do. And every time we try, I'm like, oh, I'm just going to see if there's a rescue, you know, where we're going. And I could maybe just contact them. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, that's just how I've been doing it. And it used to feel really rewarding and like, oh, this is how you have to be in the world. And now I'm like, no, maybe you... I read a quote about how if everybody realized how mundane being a human being actually is, we would all do so much better. And I, I'm really, I don't remember the exact wording of that quote, but it was this idea of like, nothing really matters, you know? And I think once we integrate that in, but not in a dramatic way of like, oh, nothing matters, we're all going to die. But more in a like, wow, you know that mistake you made? Nobody's going to remember that. You know that- Right, or that thing you're stressed out about, nobody yeah. really cares. Yeah, yeah, nobody really cares. And so I'm really trying to apply that to my show and, and enter it as in, what an incredible adventure that a few months ago, out of thin air, I, I visualized this entire exhibit. And then I went to work and I cut and I pasted and I painted and I, and I built and I, I tried and I failed and I tried again and I failed and, uh, you know, and oh, suddenly I got something good and like I experimented and like all this stuff. And it, it all started with like an idea, something so impalpable and so magical and powerful. And I'm trying to really be present and, and just, I hope once everything is hanging on the wall, I'm going to have a moment to stand in there and be like, this was all born out of my life story, my life experience, my, my brain, my, like, I don't, it's incredible. It's incredible. And I think as artists have such an incredible place to, to have in, in, in the world. And so I'm trying to step into that. I think, you know, my husband and I, we decided to implement a rule that every six months we're going to check in on, do we still want to live here? Are we happy with our jobs? And so I think having those check-in moments, maybe with yourself, can be every six months, it can be every month. That's really also helpful to be like, take a moment to like sit in a chair and think about the projects you're taking on. Think about the directions your career is going. How does it feel in your body? And I used to feel some of the project, I would tense up. I would feel it like, ugh, a little tense up in my in my belly or something. Oh, I couldn't, I didn't breathe as deep as I would, you know? And being in, in the gallery, I, I took the deepest breath I've ever taken, you know, <laughs> it felt right. But of course, there's a chance that the pendulum is going to go the other way and suddenly making art is going to become overwhelming. I think the beauty in careers like ours is that we have a lot of moving pieces. So if the art making becomes too consuming and I, I found myself, because we're addicts in a way, like I think this sort of career, it's addicting. Like you want to create, you want to sell products, you want to, oh, it's, it's fun and, you know, rewarding. And yeah, so there's a form of addiction that we have to keep in check. Also getting attention on social media, all the love and support and having friends that you want to, like all this is part of this ecosystem, right? So I think it's okay to shift. So maybe sometimes I won't create anything for a few months and maybe I'll only sell on my shop or I'll go on a trip or I'll take photos of shelter dogs. And then once I'm done with that, I'll come back to art making. What if life was more, uh, 
it doesn't have to be the same every day. It also doesn't have to be different every day. What if it was you, you, you distended your time in a different way? I, I'm not sure I can explain this because I haven't really formulated that thought before. Yeah, I, it's really resonating for me what you are saying. And I think this conversation is just reminding me how important it is for all of us to come back to like why we show up and to be very intentional about why we show up and also to be in touch with that and to use that as the framework for why we do what we do. So every quarter, you know, I choose what I'm going to focus on. You choose what you're going to focus on. And we're going to try to make sure that like we're honoring ourselves and our own creativity and our own mental health, our own rest, you know, our own relationships with people outside of work and whatever creative work we can do in addition to all of those things is great, but we can't do it all. And that's been a huge learning for me. And talking to you makes me feel less alone. Oh, great. (laughs) You know? Yeah. So I really appreciate your taking the time to talk about all of this today. Oh, no, thank you. And I'm just so excited for you. And I'm so excited to see where this all goes next for you. And I love that you're treating this as an experiment. Like you don't know what's going to happen next. You don't have any big goals. You're like, I did this thing. I'm not sure what's next, but that's okay. I'm going to lean into the messiness and the discomfort of not knowing. (laughs) You'll probably set a new intention, right? And, you know, move towards that. And that's the beautiful thing about life. We don't have to figure it out at every moment. Yeah. And I feel so one of the lessons that I'm trying to integrate is, you know, the relationship to time, it changes in the course of our life, our relationship with time and what's possible. Like when we're kids, when you're young, you know, you feel like oh, everything's so slow. And at the same time, it goes kind of fast, but it's mostly slow. You're like, oh my gosh, like life is really long and I have so much to figure out. And and then once you reach a certain age, things accelerate and suddenly, oh my God, yeah, I don't have time for anything. And like, I'm trying to understand my relationship with time better and see if I can play with that, like expand or retract. And like, I find it very challenging. So basically if on the weekend I don't have anything planned work-wise, I'm, I panic. <laughs> what am I going to do? It's impossible for me to just go for a walk or just, you know, yeah, just take time to be. And that's something that I think I need to work on. I always, I'm more of a do kind of person and not be. So I think it'd be beautiful to be able to be more and have a relationship with time that is a more relaxed. And that's also what I'm trying to do. Like when I set the intention of having this exhibit in a few months, I try to stretch time and see like, oh, what would happen if I give myself more room, more space to actually be with this exhibit and the idea of this exhibit and take my time to put it together and it's never enough time, of course, because there's so much to do, but, you know, it's allowed me to explore my work in so many different ways. And I'm, I'm really excited to continue this work. Actually, you, you've inspired me too. I mean, you always do, but I love the, the books that you just released. Like it's something I've always wanted to do, like small book slash catalog, almost magazine, uh, whatever people want to call it on a subject that has a bunch of art and text and thoughts. I've always wanted to do that. And when I saw you do it, I was like, oh, Yes, that would feel amazing. Yeah, maybe that's your next project. Yeah, that and the podcast, but not like 
episode seasons. I don't want it to become a prison, but I have so many interesting people that I meet through my work that I think, you know, we could have such a powerful conversation and to record them all and have them all live in one space would be so special. So there are a lot of big projects and I'm realizing, okay, I won't have time to do everything. So what if you picked one thing that's the focus for, you know, like you said, for a quarter or for six months or whatever it feels right for you and accept that, yeah, you actually won't have time to do everything. But maybe you can do one thing like incredibly well or in a way that's incredibly rewarding for you. I love that. And make peace with that. Yeah. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you. I am so excited to release this episode into the world and to launch the new season of my podcast. So thank you so much. Yay. Thank you so much. I hope you've enjoyed this episode editing of this podcast by the amazing Gabe Garber. Thanks to Nick Lambert for the original music and to my amazing team at the CoLoop Podcast Network. Please subscribe to the Lisa Congdon Sessions on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy what you hear, leave me a review. You can follow me on social media at Lisa Congdon and at the Lisa Congdon Sessions. I hope you'll join me for future episodes. Have a magical day, everyone. <laughs>